Our passage tonight is uh, found in Psalm 78, verse 1 to 8. And to show respect to the word of God, I would ask you to stand up as we read uh, this passage. Psalm 78, verse 1 to 8. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the, tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them to the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they would set their hope in God and not forget the words, the works of God but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God, the word of God. Father, we praise your name. We thank you. We thank you especially for allowing us sinners unfaithful, disobedient, stubborn, to come before you, but not only to come before you, but you use us to share the word of life. And we thank you. We pray, Father, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts tonight to listen to your voice talking to our, hear, our ears so that we may go and uh, live according to what you say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, when I was preparing um, using this passage, um, two things I had in mind in regards to the title. Um, so I'm going to use these two. Uh, in, uh, you have in your bulletin in the program uh, as the title, We Will Tell the Next Generation. That's the official title. But the other title that I'm, I was wrestling um, about it, it's the, under, the, the, the True Endeavor of Mission. The True Endeavor of Mission. We are the people of God. We are the sons and daughters of Abraham by faith. We have been redeemed on the cross of Calvary by Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham. As the redeemer of God, our goal should be to put our hope in him and keep his commandments, to glorify him and to be a witness for him in this world. Our God is a God of grace and a God of unending mercy. This God who 
has given us his commandments uh, to, to follow and to obey. He is the one who has freed us, liberated us from the bondage of sin. Because he knows that we ourselves, we could not free ourselves from that, the slavery of sin. So he stepped in to free us, to give us, and after that, his precept to follow. Isn't it the image we have from Egypt to Sinai? Uh, Israel was a people in bondage, delivered by his God. Uh, he opened the Red Sea to, let, to leave them, to, to, to lead them uh, to cross the Red Sea, to lead them to the other side, to freedom. God has, had powerfully intervened on behalf of the Israelite against Pharaoh. Uh, I, I, I should say that uh, he has intervened powerfully on their behalf to shame Pharaoh and his army. This was God acting gracefully on behalf of his people. Uh, the same is true today for us. It is by grace we have been saved. It is not of work so that no one can boast. The Israelites were no match for the, for the Egyptian army. Uh, but God, the, the Almighty, who also is rich in mercy, was on their side. As, it is, as he is on our side in this image, we see that the obligation of the Lord do not precede grace. It is by grace that we have been empowered to obey the law, contrary to many other religions in the world. It is an integral part of uh, the Christian life uh, to live in obedience to the, law, to the laws of God. However, the ability to obey the laws of God is not inherent in us, in men, because we all have sin and fall short of the glory of God. As sinners, we are all inclined to do evil and to live in disobedience, as Paul tells us in Romans 3, verse 10 to 18. As it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not even one. There is no, no, no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongue uh, practice deceit. The poison of, 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 of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. As you can see, this is a sad picture of humanity after the fall. Uh, we have turned away from our creator and his precepts. The Israelites, even after having witnessed the great uh, deeds of the Lord on their behalf, lived in great defiance to God and his servant Moses. Because of that, a lot of them, the first generation that witnessed the almighty intervention of God, they fell on the, on the hot sand 
of the desert and died. As the second generation was going to enter the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, Moses prepared them for what was ahead and reminded them of what had happened with their parents in the desert. He gave them what I call a prescription for success, a prescription if they followed to the letter they would ensure that would ensure them uh, longevity in the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I have, that I commend you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and, we, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be a frontlet between your eyes. In verse 12, then take care. Uh, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Uh, there's a, there are a few things that I see in this Deuteronomy passage. The first thing I see, uh, we, the, the first thing we can see in this Deuteronomy passage is a crash course in their theology, in the theology of the people of Israel. They should have their theology right. The same is true for us today. We should have our theology right. We should, we should always remember the graceful intervention of our God on, on our behalf. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They have, as we do in the Christian church, one God that we should love with all our hearts, souls, and might. We shall have no other gods before him. The, the second thing uh, we, we see in this Deuteronomy passage uh, is that, God's, uh, uh, that, that, that the God we serve provides a spiritual diet that we should follow continuously in every aspect of our lives. This diet, his commandments, uh, shall be on our hearts which means in the position closest to, our, to us. It is a diet that we should cherish very clear, very dearly to show our love to our God. And the third thing that we see is that God keeps his promises and provides for his people. He keeps his promises and provides for, for his people. Uh, uh, so, it is in light of this, Psalm 78 can make sense to us, that we can try to understand the passage that we just read, Psalm 78, verse 1 to 8. Psalm 78 finds its place here in this context to illustrate the judgment, the terrible judgment of God against an incredulous and disobedient people. 
So that's why we divide this passage into three. The first point I would like to see with you in this uh, Psalm 78 passage uh, is take heed of the call. Take heed of the call of God. Asaph, who is the author of that psalm, uh, uh, he was a Levite in the court of uh, King David. He was both a musician leader, a music leader, and a teacher. He says, give ear, O my people, to my teaching, and incline your ears to the words of my mouth. He speaks here as the mouth of God to call the people his people uh, the teaching as his teaching coming out, uh, coming out of his mouth. He calls for attention because what he is about to share are things undoubted with undoubted certainty, as Matthew Henry put it. This is a teaching of importance. This is something that they should uh, uh, have put, uh, give attention to. He said, in verse 2, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. So, so first of all, first of all, uh, he shows the method that he is using. The method uh, he's using. Asaph calls this a parable because he takes common experiences of life and events in history and uses them to teach a spiritual lesson. God's past dealing with Israel, as we see it summarized in the rest of the psalm, Psalm 78, the rest of it, form a parables of a spiritual of spiritual instruction, full of lessons. For God's people in Asaph's day and also in our day today. The second thing, not only he, he shows the method uh, that he's using, but also the motivation. The teaching he is about to give to the ear of his listeners. Those who are listening, those who are receiving that message are things that he and others like him had heard and come to know through their instruction. Uh, we can see here the essential character of this call. It is a call to the covenant families, the parents, uh, to take leadership responsibility, to teach dark sayings of all, which means the word of God, the truth of God, uh, to the next generation. Charles Spurgeon says, Sunday school teachers and pastors are never meant to be substitutes for a mother's tears and a father's prayers. Because parents have the opportunity, as no one else, to be models of both attitude and action of those things they seek to communicate. Old Testament history of God's dealing with his people is revelatory, full of spiritual truth that needs to be understood and applied to our lives. The third thing is mission. The method, the motivation, the mission. Look at the two statements in verse 4. Now, we will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. 
He begins uh, with a negative statement and he follows it with a positive declaration. These two statements show the de determination to communicate the truth to the generations to come. There is a warning to us if we fall to, to if we fail to pass down this truth to our children in the covenant family. There can be no religious neutrality in the home. If we fail to teach and live our faith in the home, we can never be sure of the continuity of faith in our children. By that also we are guilty of hiding from them the most important information in the world. Uh, the great mission of the psalmist is also our great mission as believers, which is uh, uh, to uh, the, the, the great mission. As believers, we, we, our mission is to unveil the truth of God, and the goal is to see it communicated from generation to generation. We are called to take heed of this tradition, this tradition heard and known, things that we heard, things that we know, the things that we heard that our parents, for those of us who grew up in a Christian family, your parents told you, you now know and you have children, you have the responsibility to relate this truth to your children, and hopefully they will do the same. So the first point, take heed of the call that we receive from God. Uh, the second point I would like to share with you uh, from, 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 from the passage is leaning on the foundation. Uh, verse 5 says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. Our teaching has credibility and it has content. Uh, the foundation of our message is not found in the philosophy of men or the, in, the, the invention of the scientist. Uh, it is not fables or mere tradition of men, uh, but the inspired, authoritative, and infallible truth of God. Uh, this God is the God of the covenant. Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. This is the covenant-keeping God who is always faithful and in whom there is no darkness. The authority of our teaching and its capacity to effect change in the, in the hearts of men, in the lives of our children, is not inherent in the messenger, uh, but in the God who created everything by his word. He has established a testimony in Israel, which means he has revealed himself to his people and has given them his law. The people whom God chose in Abraham has been entrusted um, his divine oracles, his words, uh, the Old Testament scripture, just as today, he has entrusted the, his complete revelation to the church, to us, the Israel by faith. Today, what we have to offer to our children is nothing but the miraculous word of God, which is designed to protect us and them 
against the deception of this world system that is threatening our generation and intending to destroy the next. Uh, the law of God has the power to effect change. The word of God, the gospel, uh, uh, Paul said the gospel is the power for salvation. So the gospel has the power to effect change in our hearts and preserve our children from falling away. But we as parents, we must follow the decrees of God and obey his precepts. We need to do what he says we should do generation after generation, to not to hide them from them. And that's why the third point, we say preparing the future generation. In verse 6 to the end, to verse 8, uh, it says that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hopes in God and not forget the words, the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Today, as we are moving, we are moving faster and faster into a very hostile environment toward Christianity. It is even more imperative to be more obedient to the gospel message and more importantly to the mandate of the gospel. The mandate is expressed in many places in the, in, in the gospels and the book of Acts and it is culminated in what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28 verse 19 to 20. In Mark 16, verse 15, it says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to uh, the whole creation. In Luke 24, verse 47, that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. John 17, verse 18 says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And then uh, uh, the climax, we find the climax of the mandate of the gospel in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. For a long time, the church in the United States has been at the forefront of missions around the world. Uh, the culture of this country was also considered a Christian culture to the point where even non-Christian would be familiar with certain Christian terms. Today, there has been a fast decline in both the culture and the church. Some people would refer to this as the post-Christian era. The decline in the church affects both the motivation for mission and the familiarity with certain key elements uh, that have to do with missions and the gospel. 
the church must do a lot today to create an understanding and motivation for the gospel and for missions. According to uh, the Barner Group on familiarity with the Great Commissions, the Great Commission among church-going Christians, nearly half of U.S. church-going Christians say that they are unfamiliar with the term the Great Commission. While another one in four says they've heard of this term, but can't recall ex the exact meaning. In the 1800s, perhaps uh, about maybe 1% of, of Protestant Christians live in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. By 1900, this number has grown to about 10%. Today, at least 67% of all active Protestant Christians live in countries once considered foreign mission fields. The church is still growing rapidly, even explosively in many areas in the world like Korea, Sub-Sahara Africa, Singapore, and the People's Republic of China. Consider this uh, remarkable turnaround. Uh, only about 200 years ago, Protestant Christianity was almost exclusively Western. Now, Protestants are strongest in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. From a Christian standpoint, uh, the modern missionary movement has turned the world upside down, if you will. In 1800, with rare exception, cross-cultural missionaries came from the West. Even until 40 years ago, missionary generally met a Westerner going to Asia, Africa, and so on. Today, the number of cross-cultural missionaries is growing most rapidly among uh, believers from Asia, Africa, and Latin America. Research indicates that there were 3,400 such missionaries in 1972. Today, they estimate that it's over 48,000. It is a very good thing, if you ask me, uh, to celebrate. It is a very good thing to celebrate when we see the progress of the gospel in places that were once considered the heart of the mission field. On the other hand, it is a great concern. Uh, the fact that the mainline churches that were at the forefront of the mission movement are now losing that focus. There is a great relationship between the mandate of the gospel and the prescription that we see earlier for success that Moses gave to the people of Israel. Moses told the people of Israel, and these words that I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. This is the same uh, thing that we as the church of Jesus Christ we must do today with our generation. There is always a reason why God commands something. Uh, the decrees of God are always powerful. Nothing comes out of his mouth without uh, a goal to achieve. 
It is in the plan of God that each generation uh, remembers the covenant relationship that he had sovereignly and graciously established between himself and Israel. Israel was expected to teach this revelation to their children from generation to generation so that each generation would, do, would not only know but pass it on to the next so that they might know them, so that they would put their trust in God and not, in, uh, and not forget his deeds so that they would keep his comments and not be like their fathers who were stubborn. stubborn. Our witness both in the home and in the world has value. There must, be, there must not be a disconnect between what is being communicated in the home and what we show to the world. What would be the value of winning the world for Christ and losing the battle at home. The Israelites failed to keep the mandate they received. And because of that, they fell in apostasy. Their children and their children's children went and worshiped false gods. They had forgotten the Lord our God, the Lord is one. As a result, also, they lost the blessing of the land that they had inherited. Today, let us take heed today so that we do not forget our God, so that we do not forget his message to us, his mandate to us, and his precepts, so that uh, uh, we may be true witnesses for him in our Jerusalem and to the ends of the, of the earth. As I said earlier, the church is facing today great, a great uh, battle. The world system is trying to influence, to infiltrate and influence the church. The only way for us to win that battle is to follow that prescription even way back with Moses, that prescription, the word of God. If we neglect the word of God, if we neglect the true message of the word of God, of the gospel, if we preach anything that is different from the true gospel, we don't have the church. We lose the battle. So let us take heed today and not forget our God and his message. Let us pray. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for your son. And thank you for giving us, giving us your word uh, to teach us, um, to nourish us, to empower us so that we can live in this hostile world. Be with us today and every day. In Jesus' name we pray.